What is up, everybody out there in League of Legends land? My name is Andy Belford, a.k.a. I'm not sure how to say that, a.k.a. Riot Zwill, uh, and I work on the player relations team here at Riot Games. Today I'm joined by a brand new co-host. I'm super excited about this. It is Joshua Jat Leesman. Would you like to say hello to everybody, Jat? Hey, everybody. Um, Yes, I'm Jat. You are Jat. Yeah. That's that's really all I have to say. I (laughs) shoutcast esports, and I actually used to play with Scara, so this will be fun. This this will be fun. And speaking of Scara, today we do have uh, Scara in the studio. I'm sorry, let me do the formal introduction. William Scara Lee. Yes, but how's my last name spelled? L-I. Nice. I can, I can read it on your, okay, no, <laughs> on your name tag. His visitor's <laughs> name tag. You're so talented, Andy. I am very, very talented. In fairness, I did know that before. So, like, I, I remember I remember it is it is L-I, and I'm assuming that it is Lee. I'm, I'm guessing you are Chinese. Yes, perfect. Ah, yes. Not impressed. Nailed on all cylinders. Oh, wow. I guess I, I need to work harder to impress chat. That's okay. I'll be good. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Gara. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. It, well, it's nice to have you. We're so formal right now. All right, so yeah. I got to ask, how's your? I was watching your stream before I, before I came in, uh, and uh, you you seem like you're having a little bit of a rough day. <laughs> um, what, what was your record? You're playing on the new patch. I was two and four. And I was trying out a lot of Sinzao and mm. uh, jungle top game? lane, Ooh. and it's like it's just you just get ganked and you die. Even though I solo killed my lane, like it didn't work mm. out. But I think that. Uh, with the new dynamic queue, I've been queuing with a bunch of more people to try it out, and and uh, this time I had like the three people I was queuing with were had different ideas of how to play the game because whether it's like we're really super serious about winning or just here to have fun or all kinds of things, and I think two of the three people or like we were all on different pages for it, so it was actually like. Uh, not a fun game day of streaming for any of us, <laughs> but we talked about it. It should just all fix itself by the next time we play. Well, it, it probably didn't help that you had wings for like the last two games on the other team. Wing, wings of Death, by the way, is who I'm talking about. He seemed like he was in pretty good games with Corky there. So, <laughs> <laughs> holy moly. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, we've asked Scar here. We're going to talk a little bit about stuff. We're going to get to know Scar a little bit. So why don't we just like dive right into that? Um, I understand that you are from the great ta- great state of Texas. Is that right? Yes, born and raised Houston, Texas. Okay, you actually you you joined the you jumped into the pro scene from like uh, UTA. Is that right or uh, Texas A and M? Texas A and M. Okay, so you're an Aggie. Wait, Longhorn Aggie. 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 All right. Whew. Boy, I'm missing all this stuff. That's okay though. Um, tell me, tell me about about Young Scara. Like, oh my god. Okay, so my memory is really bad, but so I re- only remember bits and pieces of my childhood. And one of the things that sticks out is uh, anyone who's ever been with me for a while or like eating food with me notices that I eat really fast. And that's because when I was younger, we weren't very rich. Me and my brother lived together with my mom and my dad, and we only had one PC, so whoever ate their food faster would be able to use their PC first. So me and my brother would constantly have competitions to eat as fast as possible so we can go play like StarCraft 1, Diablo 1, Diablo mm-hmm. 2 kind of stuff. And it kind of, both of it carried over for us uh, as we grew older. And, and him and me are like two of the fastest eaters I've ever seen. You know, that's I actually noticed that growing up personally myself. I don't know. Maybe that's a cultural thing for, for Asians. Like like my mother was always like eat fast eat fast eat fast 
<laughs> I don't know. I I've mean, it had nothing to do with PCs. I mean, I've been told to finish your food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. Like, go to sleep early. I, I think it's just, like, the natural generosity for them to overindulge you. Like, they just keep piling on food, and you can't say no because you ruin the mood. So you have to just eat whatever they give you, and then your stomach's blowing, and you want to pass out. Are, are you uh, first generation? Um, yes. If yes. First generation is if your parents came over, right. and you were born first in the States, right? Yes. Yes, then I was first generation. My dad was from Beijing, my mom was from Shanghai, and they grew up, and then my dad flew over like pretty early. Wow. So did your dad came out first and then your mom followed after? Uh, I think they came over at the same time, but it might have been a little bit staggered. But regardless, they were both out here like in the third wave of third or fourth big wave of uh, Chinese immigrants. Wow. That's awesome. I, I know uh, Houston does. Houston, well, I, I should I shouldn't say I know. Does Houston have a very large Asian po- American population? Uh, it has a decently sized one. Uh, like uh, there's a Houston Chinatown where we used to go all the time and we'd see like a bunch of people there. And so I think it's, it's not bad. It's actually bigger than, uh, California's or LA's Chinatown. Right. Cause LA has like this really small Chinatown, but their Koreatown that's vast, super big. But I think, uh, Houston has a bigger Chinatown than LA. I wonder if Houston is, uh, is the city that I've heard of that actually has the highest, has like a higher population density of like Laotians than than Laos itself does. I can't remember. It's one of those I, weird I random have factoids. No idea. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like I'm I'm diverging and, and tangenting it off, but it's okay. It's a podcast. That kind of stuff happens. Um, so all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more tangent. Is there like, is there one uh, is there one like one thing one dish that you ever eat that like reminds you of home? Oh, uh. My my mom really liked uh my mom used to cook food for us like a, a lot of food and she used to make um duck a lot. Ooh, and so like Chinese duck is like a very specific dish. It's like uh the way you cook it even is very specific and my mom would just make it and give it to my friends because as as like thank you for being friends with my son because without you guys my son would be like terrible. And so constantly I'd be reminded of like the food my mom would make for them. Wow. <laughs> make so the you... best food to give to your friends. Exactly. It was like, <laughs> I know you're not doing this for free. So, <laughs> But you got some though, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, of course. Good. Oh, yeah. I love uh, Chinese duck like uh, for uh, holiday dinners. Like anytime there was a tradition I had growing up, like my family would go out to like a, a Chinese restaurant, specific Chinese restaurant. Uh, for holiday dinners, and we would always have to like order twenty four hours ahead of time the the duck. Oh yeah, for yeah. us, we used to go to a Thanksgiving like didn't really exist for us. Like it was a more uh, not a holiday for Asian people, and so yeah. our way to like kind of spin it was we'd always go to a Peking duck place and eat on Thanksgiving. And apparently, it wasn't just us. Like we'd see like a lot of people there as well, and so that was our Thanksgiving tradition, I guess. That is a delicious tradition, though. All right. So so uh, I love the story about, like, you having to fight your brother for the, for use of the PC. You mentioned a couple of games like Diablo and it's like uh, Diablo and StarCraft 1. Is there any other games that are, like, you would consider, like, seminal for you? Or it's like, you know, you played this game and you realized, I've got a passion for video games. Oh, God. I think every Blizzard game I grew up, I was super passionate for. So mm-hmm. StarCraft, super passionate for. Um 
I actually my name is low has a low amount of syllables because one of the my first like idols was Boxer, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, Boxer and Moon, they have like these really low syllable names. If I ever make my own name, it's gotta be low syllables. Like it's gotta have like one or two syllables max, and it's gotta sound cool off the tongue, you know. And um, from there, like I played, me and my brother played like Diablo two like crazy, and then Warcraft three. Um, Dota was really, really big for us. And then I think after that, WoW, I ended up playing a ton of WoW. And WoW just kind of linked, uh, there are like pieces of WoW that linked me to other people in the scene. So mm-hmm. when I played WoW, I was a like top 10 of my battle group, Warlock. I played on Arthas, which is the Ruin battle group. Alliance, that, Alliance or Horde? Horde. Oh, uh, boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I played against uh, really popular people right now, like Hafu mm-hmm. uh, and her team, like Hafu, Glicks, and Reagan. And I would remember, and since like that was like essentially the closest I ever got to being a, a pro at the time, like I would remember like playing against those people before they transferred servers. And they were actually the main reason why we lost rank one and fives is because we could not beat their team. They were just way too good. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. And then from there, um, I went to Han. And then I went from Han to League. And Han, I got, like, top 100. I used to play with, like, Nian. And I used to be in houses and play with people like Eternal Envy and stuff like that. But uh, I don't consider myself very good. Like, I filled support in most of the in-houses. And it was a fun experience, but I was never really super good at something until League. Injured. I always find it so funny how your relationships you make in past games, especially the social games, most people who are successful in League had those relationships early on when they were playing League. Like, when you first started playing League, were you solo queuing or did you have a group of people you came over with? Uh, I was actually solo queuing. But oh, there goes my theory. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I moved because I had a bunch of friends at Han. All of my Han friends quit. And my brother dragged me over to League because all of his friends were playing. I'd occasionally play with them, but they don't play as much as I do. Like, I was a grind lord, so I just played... One to thirty in like two or three weeks, um, but I mean I think the relationships do matter. Like uh, one story that doesn't get told a lot, and I don't think I've said this a lot, is that uh, I first got noticed by like the higher tier players because I I essentially started the game a month before the season one started. Uh, I got to thirty a week before season one came out, and then I played the ladder. I went twenty one and three. I ex- almost exclusively played exhausting night mid lane cat. And I had, like, an insane win rate, and I was top five. And people were like, who is this guy? He wasn't in beta. So, like, all the beta people knew each other. And I was just like, yeah, I just randomly came because I thought the game was easy and fun. And so um, the person who recognized me was actually Locust, my ex-teammate from, like, a long time back. Uh, He was a uh, mage on my WoW server called star you and he he wasn't like as good as me like he would consistently place like maybe top a thousand whereas i would be top 100 or top 10 but um i i know because all the pvp people on arthas were like pretty well known and he actually dragged me into like essentially like one of the circles so i would be, be able to meet new people so he's part of maybe one of the reasons why i became a pro or one of the reasons why i was able to network so early that's cool. So you you jumped into into league. Like was was it one of those things where it was kind of like like yeah, oh man, yeah, I, I really love this game immediately. Did you just like grok it like right away? <laughs> I hated this game. Like compared to Han, I was just like, wow, Han has like great turn speeds. That was the thing that like if you were attack moving at Han, you just had like the 
best, cleanest attack moves, regardless what champion you played. But in League, like, the turn speed felt really, really slow to me. And I was just like, oh, I can't get over this turn speed. Like, it's super bad. Like, last hitting is so awkward because the creep, the creep animation and the last hit thing was, like, a little bit different than when it was in Han. And so, like, I really didn't enjoy the game till I, till I played, like, probably to level 25. I, I still remember the first three games I played. I played at Kali, all three games, and I went collectively, like, a score of, like, 96 and 6. I literally averaged 30 kills every game. And I was just like, this game is so easy. Why did my brother make me play this game? But, um, like, as I got <laughs> higher, I played against better people. Like, obviously, my, my mindset changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. Uh, we had Darshan in here a couple months ago, and he was talking about the first character that he actually really played a lot was Akali as well. He, but he had the exact opposite experience of you where he was just getting dumpstered on constantly. Yeah. He was like, why is this so broken? Oh. I never played a MOBA when I started playing League. And when I started, I was in a five-man with beta guys who'd been playing for about a month. So I was level one and they were all level 30. And I played Ash and I basically just cautious the game like three times in a row. <laughs> Oh, man. It's much different than your experience. So, oh yeah, yeah. I think everyone has like those kind of different stuff. But like, I think it's funny that Sean said that because he told me like his first season he played, he was unranked. Like he wasn't even bronze. He was like 800 LP. Like, and then he just became like a great player. Like after improving over all these seasons from humble beginnings. So I actually want to go back to something you were just talking about when you were comparing um, Han to League. And I think this is actually one of those things that actually helps differentiate just MOBAs in general. Like, uh, and it's something that I actually learned when I first started working on a different game was really important to the MOBA genre and like your personal preference with MOBAs. You mentioned the turn radius. Yep. Or turn That's, speed, yep. So for for those uh, for those folks out there who may not understand, like, you know, when you compare all the different MOBAs, like, you know, how would you describe like, you know, Hans versus Leagues versus like uh, Dota Two or something like that with a turn radius? Um, the easiest way to think of of like turn speed specifically is uh, when you're running away from someone and you want to turn around to auto attack and then turn back around to run away. What ends up happening is if you're playing Han, you literally just like you can you can a move backwards and it's really, really solid. Like, you barely see yourself turn, throw the auto, and turn again, for the mm -hmm. most part. But in League, it's like your character fully turns. Um, and I think it was a lot more clunkier earlier with the with the graphics beforehand, before they changed, like, a lot of the models mm -hmm. and the summoners with. But I remember specifically, like, it being, like, or felt a lot more clunkier because I'm used to this super fast-paced action where everyone's turn speed is godlike. But mm -hmm. uh, Han had, like, the highest turn speed of any MOBA out there. Like, I remember playing Dota at the time, and I was like, dude, these people are slow. Like, you have someone auto-attack, and it takes, like, an hour for them to auto-attack. Uh, but in Han, everything was... Even... But, yeah, even supports were being played in, like, mid lane because their auto-animations and their last city animations were so much better than Dota. There was a lot of champions that were, like, just more viable, or heroes that were more viable because they didn't have to deal with any problems about, like, either their animations or their turn speeds being too slow. If you had to think about... Uh, like in Jet, you've been playing MOBAs for a long time too. Like, if you have to think about last hitting and like the turn radius and stuff, comparing League in 2009 to League now, like, is is the situ is it does it feel better? Does it feel more crisp, or is it just something that we as MOBA players are just like this is this is what one of the things that defines League? I mean, I think League is something we generally get used to. One thing I like about League is the consistency of how every champion feels. Like, there are very few spells in the game that are different than a quarter second cast time. 
right? There's Morgana's Dark Binding that's like 0.15, and there's a few half-second cast times. But I feel like League is very smooth in that sense, even if it's not immediate. Like something like Han, yeah, you can press all your buttons really quickly. You can get your sh- auto attack off while you're running, but you're not you're losing the feel of the character there. So like at least in League, I feel like each character does have a distinct feel, and you get very used to their auto attack timing and attack frames and stuff like that. I think that Hans was just, it was just that like this overall standard was so high. Like in this situation, like a bad attack speed is like a Nivea and Karthus in League. Mm-hmm. But like those don't even exist in Han. Like the the worst I think is like uh, Nymphora and Glacius, which were the two supports. So they had like the worst attack animations. And it didn't even really matter. Like it was just like the high, at the highest level, the fastest attack animation was like ridiculously crisp. I'm not that familiar with Han, so like Corky would be an example in League of someone with the fastest. Oh attack yeah, yeah. and then so what, what? Like how would that fit in Han from like a spectrum of really quick to slow? I think he'd be like in the upper tier, but he wouldn't be the fastest. Like when I think of like super fast stuff, I think of like uh, uh, Razor, and then I think. I don't remember what had what had a really 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 fast attack animation. I think Razor is the one that like is really really high up for me in terms of qu- quickness. But I just remember like yeah, it sucks because the f- the first game I played in League in beta was Karthus, and so that's what really threw me off about the game. Up until I played more games, I just thought the game sucked. Yeah. And just so we're not losing too many people because we're getting like super technical here. When I say attack frame, that's how long it takes for your champion to complete an auto attack before you can move somewhere else. So Corky's really quick at that because his auto attack just flies out and then you can start moving around. So like really good players can kind of cancel the after attack automation and keep moving. But Karthus would be an example of someone who's really slow. So Scar was looking for a faster animation there. Uh, Karthus's auto attack... Has actually was actually changed in the rework, I believe. His older model was like much even worse. Yeah, I just remember Soraka, Karthus, Anivia were all like super, super all the bad. Slow ones. And then like champions would be released like Belkaz, and I was like, oh, their attack animation is practically instant. It, it's it's really interesting to hear this conversation. One, I'm learning a ton right now. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but it's like when you talk about when you talk about that and like, you know, the the kind of the satisfaction you get from the feeling of like, you know, something as simple as an auto attack, like I actually look at that as being one of the number one kind of like attributable attributable factors to to like this, this this the hugely successful games. Like you look at World of Warcraft, for instance, you know, one of the big reasons to me personally why WoW was was so successful was because it just feels good to play. Like the abilities feel crisp. Things feel the word that I use is crunchy, but other people say like, you know, very solid and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting conversation. But um so Scara for those of you those of folks out there who don't know, Scara was is was was one of the first professional League of Legends players. Right? Uh, season one, were you were you in season one? Yes, but I I wasn't a pro then because I remember like we didn't make the qualifiers because of like of it was like so close. We got to like the final game and then we just like couldn't close it out. Like we weren't good enough to close it out. So we were like the fourth place team to not go. But people would play us all the time because they thought we were better than most of the other teams. Yeah. The Season 1 World Championship had a fairly open qualifier and the top three North American teams go. And I was actually like a kind of a sub for Scar's team at the time. I'd scrim with them sometimes. What, what team, I, team was this? This was Rock, Rock Solid yep. at the time, which okay. later turned into Team Dignitas once Season 2 started. Okay. But yeah, uh, 
Skara, at least in my opinion at the time, was one of the, if not the best mid laners in North America, specifically in laning phase. So like his farm was always higher than everyone else, which is I think why people wanted to play against him so much. And it's where Rock Solid got a lot of their leads. But at the same time, not as much experience. I think you guys lost to Epic Gamer, which was yeah. Dan Didden's Westrise team. And that's actually where Doublelift and Dyrus went to the first world championship. And if that game goes differently, like if Scar's team closes, if Rocksolid closes in either in one of the two games they lost, like Dyrus and Doublelift don't go to the first world championship. And it was really close. So how would that have how would, how would that have changed history? I know, right? right? You know, like the, you think about the league scene, like you know, obviously like the the history of the league scene, like obviously, you know, your name is one of the ones that comes up, but it was like if there's no double lift and there's no Dyrus. And it's like... Yeah, they still probably would have yeah. existed, but they just yeah. wouldn't have been into Season 1 World Championship. Wow. Wow. It's And it's funny to think of that as being, like, so long ago now, but it was that was literally only six years ago. Or seven, I guess, at this point. Well, it was really five and a, six and a half years ago. Only. That's yeah, a, only five that's years. A, that's an interesting qualifier okay. there. Well, okay. You know, for so, <laughs> when you're talking to somebody like me who's been working in this industry for like a decade now, like five or six years doesn't seem like that long. But when you think about it in the life cycle of a game and actually in the life cycle of esports, you know, it the, five or six years ago is may as well have been like you know last century. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, because esports is is something like just it's it's a super nascent thing, right? It is it is still evolving. It's still growing. And that's actually something that Jet you wanted to actually to jump in to talk about is kind of like the wild west of that scene. Like yeah. Well, I mean, even even after the failure to qualify for the season one world championship, when I actually joined Rock Solid at the pre-season two, like it wasn't even season two because until the LCS happened, it was an open circuit, right? We yep. accumulate circuit points by playing at different online events. Not not as uh, systematic as we have it right now. Yeah, and it would be like, if you didn't qualify for an event, you're boned because you wouldn't have access to any of those points. Yeah. And some of the events were invite only, which was yep. the craziest thing. So like you needed a reputation from other events. So for instance, one thing that we kind of built our reputation up on was this well-played tournament, like the well-played Rampage tournament, mm -hmm. which is this king of the hill thing. And we would get like $200 for winning or something. And we decided to play right at the very start because we thought that was the easiest way of winning a game. And then we ended up running the table and winning every yeah, yeah, we single won every game. Single game. It, it was actually like really nice. And at the time, I think it was the best produced online uh, tournament. Because right. uh, this is before uh, TSM tournaments start holding their own like qualifiers and weeklies. Uh, it was like really, really cutting edge kind of stuff. And actually the well-played guys are still around somewhere. I don't exactly know what they're doing right now, but... They're still out there. Uh, well played is uh, running a lot of uh, collegiate events and stuff like that. I believe Ooh. still like they're they're definitely still around though for sure. We actually uh, have uh, several members of uh, the collegiate team that came from that organization. Uh, I think Michael Sherman and a couple of other folks. So yeah, it's it was it was just a crazy different scene, and I was kind of wondering, Scar, since I've been on the Shellcaster side of things for season three in 2014. Since technically we're not calling them season five and six in esports, it's 2016 season, but what were some of the what was it like to grow through preseason two to the season two world championship to actually having LCS to actually having LCS with fans every week and just that progression? Uh, I think it was really it's crazy because I remember like season two like sure like people tell you you're fans and your Twitter following goes up because you, it's like the only way you can ever contact your fans. And then you use Reddit a lot because it's also the only other way to really talk to mm -hmm. your fans or stay attentive. But then once the LCS came out, it's like stuff went crazy. 
people would recognize me on like streets uh if i ever went to some place that was very asian dominated uh especially in la like they would recognize me because that's just like a really good demographic for league or lcs watchers and so they'd be like oh my god are you scara and i'd just be like that would actually be like the line that all my friends was like oh my god scara and they would just say that really loud and just walk away and i'd just be like what i can't do anything so i think that uh it was crazy the amount of attention that 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 like just exploded you know um Aside from that, like it became more structured, but it because of that you lost a lot of you lost a very unique thing where like you would be able to fly to different countries. Like I remember uh, I went to Ukraine, I almost died because I thought that it wouldn't be that cold, which I was don't don't worry about this. <laughs> I didn't think it was that cold and I also thought that um me and Void took a, a cab and they like dropped us off at the wrong place. And so we were just like, we can't speak the language. We're in the middle of nowhere. We This isn't like the place that we need to go. And we just ran to like a near, the near, we found a land cafe. And then someone asked us if they wanted us, them to drive us to the place. And we were just like, we could die. Like we could live. It he was could, chaos. Wait, was it? <laughs> it? It was chaos. Well, I remember when we played in New York with Boy Boy, he told us a story of how he didn't wait in the taxi line. There was just a dude there who's like, yo, do you need a taxi? And he's like, yeah, of course I need a taxi. <laughs> so he just went and this is like, he was 16 at the time, yeah. boy boy. And there was no shuttle to pick him up. You just, you need to come to the hotel. So he knew where the hotel was and he gives this guy the address. He does, he, it's not a taxi. It's just a dude with an iPhone. Yep. And he like puts it in the GPS and then he drives him there and boy's like, how much is it? And he goes, hundred dollars. And he's like, I, I guess I have to pay him. Like, he didn't know what to do. So he gave the guy $100 who wasn't a taxi driver, and he made it to the hotel. And we, you know, we didn't do very well in New York. But that story, I think, is still yeah, kind of no, relevant it, to how chaotic and disorganized it was back it, then. It was crazy, for sure. Like, um, but sometimes it was endearing because when you think back, you're like, wow, like, I not only kept my life, but I also placed <laughs> really well at this event. Or, like, we, I, uh, whatchamacallit, mm -hmm. you just meet a lot of really cool people when you travel a lot. Um, and I think there were more international events, although uh, recently, like, Riot's done, like, the two all-star events, and so maybe it's getting close with the IAMs that, uh, but there's no way it, it happens as much as before. And I think that that, that that was, like, really nice in some sense, you know? Yeah. I think at the end of it, I got super sick of traveling because I would literally be traveling every other week. And I had to give up school to travel to Korea to play in the OGN, which I have absolutely no regrets about. But just being able to be, like, the flying part of traveling sucks if you do it too much. And then it's sometimes it's just nice to just have a place to go week by week. But it was a hard balance to make. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if, if it was if it was better or not. But certainly, certainly I respect the stability. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think the life experience of going to all the different countries and playing in all the tournaments with all the different fan bases is super unique and, like, never going to happen again. But... If you never had that opportunity, like you always want that opportunity, you wouldn't have just wanted it to start in this structured place. <laughs> Being there when it was born, I feel like is one of the coolest things. Yeah, absolutely. And so now it's like it's much more structured and like you get to see your fans, your fan base actually rises exponentially. Like I said that it was crazy to see fans before, but like now if you're part of a big team like TSM, you join them, you can have like zero Twitter followers and it is split you're like at 150 <laughs> or something crazy like that. And I was just like, it took me five years to build up to like 200K. And you guys are like going crazy on social media, branding. And so it's definitely a different beast right now.
Well, but you were you like you were there for the start of something special. Like you said, it was a unique experience, and and honestly, nobody in esports or at least like within the league scene is ever going to experience something like that again. Like because teams teams like you all and like season one, season two, and all this stuff, you blazed the trail. Uh, not so much season two, I guess. Season two was a little more structured, right? The ending of season two became more structured. Like yep. even okay. pre-season two was still just circuit events. So you you have to qualify for IEM Providence, and then you have to qualify for IEM Dallas, and then you have to qualify for or get invited to IPL three yep. or IPL four. It was it was actually nuts, but like I liked it. It was just crazy because with the lack of time in between, and there were so many like changes. It was just like, oh, we go into an event. All right, we have two strategies. Let's hope it works out. And it was like, well, they banned our strategies. What what, what do we do now? Like, it was just really, uh, it was really like a haphazard. You know, people aren't as serious about it or weren't as serious about it. And I think that, you know, there was a kind of, it, it was kind of cool in the regard that it was so grassroots. Um, but obviously the trade-off from then to now is that now you have more professional players, you know, but you kind of lose a little bit of the interaction, I feel, or the grassroots portion. For instance, like, as soon as you go pro, if you check, like, a pro's, like, responses on Twitter or on Reddit, you can see, like, it just plummet. Like, as soon as they become a pro player, it's like you, you, t- you tend to distance yourself from the crowd that you were part of beforehand because you can't be that as close or else words hurt well i mean we we saw a recent example of that with remy right like she had you know she obviously you know there were other kind of uh, kind of factors in her decision like she she was said that she wasn't very comfortable on stage anyways and things like that but but still it's like you enter that arena where you get just an incredible amount of scrutiny right like never before you said you had a very close relationship with with like your social media fan base and followers and stuff before but it's like then you just add in a million more voices or, you know, a hundred thousand more voices like that can be a, a bit much. Like, how did you actually start dealing with that? How did you cope with that? I don't think I cope very well because um, and one of the biggest reasons why I became like uh, worse as a player is because I didn't have a good support structure behind me. I think there's like some study I was reading about how. Uh, especially when you're doing uh, sports like this or like like really really stressful environments, you should have like someone you can lean on. Usually, that's like friends and family outside of the scene. But for me, like leaving Houston, my family, my brother, my dad, my mom, all went to China for work or for schooling, and so that left me alone. And I li- left all my friends in Texas to go to Korea and then go to LA. So because of that, like I was essentially stranded by myself and it was kind of difficult for me to make very close friends. So when it came, when push came to shove and I didn't, wasn't playing that well, you know, uh, usually the people who used to give me strength was like, oh, I'd read, I'd have people who tweet at me and be like, dude, you played a great job today. But it turned out to be like people who tweet at me and be like, you suck. Yeah, you're like <laughs> terrible at this game. You should just quit. Like, and because of that, and because I didn't have an accurate or like a good support structure to deal with it, I felt like that was a lot of the reason why I ended up pulling myself in rather than being able to find like more effective ways of dealing with it. And now it's like not big of a problem because I re- recognized it and realized that like, yeah, I need to be like more understanding of situations like this. But at the time, I was just like, what do I do? Like, I'm playing bad. My only solution, play more. So it was like, mm. Uh, I was playing bad and I was like, you know what I have to do? 14 hours a day. Or I actually went 16 hours a day and then I burned out. So I went to 14 hours a day. And I played 14 hours a day the entire rest of the split. And so 
it was it was shock, shocking to the people on my team because at one point we were eating out. I was just like, you know, I have the most solo queue games of anyone in the team, right? Because because they were just like, they were, for some reason it came up and they're like, there's no way. And Crumbs and Cutie and Kiwi all pulled out the phones and checked and they were just like, that's impossible. Like I like 16 more than Crumbs who was the second highest. And it was just like, Kitty was like in disbelief. He was like, I play every day when I wake up from like 7 a.m. to like, 12 when we scrim and i'm like yeah but i just play a lot more at night and so um that wasn't a very effective way to get better but that was at least like my like really really messed up solution to being like playing bad at the time do you do you feel like maybe that was a bit of a coping mechanism oh yeah of course like i think at the time it was like uh because i wasn't playing better and didn't have a good support structure or friends to really talk to about that i was like what can I do to get better? And I didn't have coaches or people who were like really helped me at the game at the time. You know, for for lane matchups, you'd like Skype someone else. I'd be like, mm-hmm. Shifter, what do you think about Diana in this matchup? Or like, Hey Link, what do you think about this situation? But like in terms of like the more serious stuff, like how they get better, I would like literally turn on after replays, put it on my other screen, and just grind for 15, 14 hours a day, and be like, hopefully by being able to expand on this, I can get better at the game. But like. It didn't really help my biggest weakness, which was decision making. And so, like, while I may have gotten better in matchups or mechanically, uh, it it like it wasn't a very effective method to make me a more well-rounded character uh, player. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that people don't talk about that much because no one wants to admit that they couldn't cope with criticism well or that they couldn't find a way to improve. Like everyone just wants to say that they were able to do it, but I do think it's so difficult to filter out the noise of feedback and so important to have that proper structure in line because if you're doing poorly and you need to make improvements, you need the trusted voice that is willing to tell you that in the right way and you also need that trusted voice to also be able to give you kudos and props when you do properly. But at the moment, if you're a pro player, you have your Twitter following, Reddit following, post-game threads, and that is just, it's not enough. Like it's, it's mostly negative, it's meme heavy, and you're just... It's also on guys that haven't been in the spotlight before or don't have a lot of sports experience or any of that stuff. And 18 to 22-year-old kids, how do, you, how do adults deal with this, let alone people who just are out of high school? I think one of the biggest things also is that, like, at some point, like, your team loses confidence in your ability to play. That's and, the worst. And what happens is uh, when you play, and especially if you don't have a support structure, you lean on your team a lot. Because who cares what random people say on Twitter, right? Like, I I. I don't care as much. My team tells me I'm doing great. I'm I'm doing great. But at the point where like your team's not defending you for people out there who are calling you like garbage, like I feel like it can really like mentally, it causes a lot of mental stress onto a player. Like a good example of that I thought was like a lot of the past CLG or uh like when when I left like I don't think I got much support from from my team. It, it may have just been like Kiwi who was actively supporting me. But for the most part, people were just like. Yeah, he's not that good, but maybe he can play well at some times. And I'm just like, like that kind of vibe is not the kind of vibe that will make you a better player, right? I think right now with the more structure, uh, that's not as much of a problem because you have people like monitoring like mental situations, you have sports psychologists coming in. And so like being able to balance that stuff is a lot easier. But before, like even on CLG, I, I feel like their their atmosphere has been really, really like toxic in the past. I don't like using that word. Super overblown. But one of the biggest things was like, yeah, once once someone like 
looked at someone and was like, that guy's no longer good anymore. I felt like there no one had confidence in their play. Like Gigi, Hotshot, you know, Link, all the people who were the people who eventually left the team. Whereas it was because, okay, well, I don't even know. Like I don't even think they're bad players. But what ends up happening is no one has the confidence to believe in them. And because of that, like that mental pressure is too much for someone to deal with, especially without many people to be able to support him. And it's self-fulfilling, too, because if your team loses confidence in you, they're not going to support you in game, which is going to perpetuate poor results, which is going to perpetuate the feeling of you're not doing well. So it's exactly. really important that you have someone above the team to fix those things. That's kind of like coaching and team environment 101 that we're right. slowly learning about uh, in esports culture. So, so Scar, when did you have, like, your moment of clarity around this understanding? Because it sounds like you actually have come to a very kind of zen place about this. Like, you understand it. Like, what was, like, the catalyst for you that really— I think I took, a, I took a— two times where I took a lot of time to be introspective. The first time was when uh, after the split where I got replaced by Golden Glue and then they called me while I was in like Vegas or the PAX East or something and they're like, you're playing next week. And I'm like, you guys are, you guys messed up. Like, there's no way I should be doing this. Like, like the team needs you. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so after that split happened, I, I was introspective about like what happened? Like, how did I get in this situation? Um, and then when I left Dig completely to go coach for CLG, I, that happened again. Or, sorry, when I left Dig to coach for CLG, that happened the first time. And the second time was when I left CLG to not be a coach anymore, that happened the second. And the, fir the first time essentially came to, like, an idea of, like, okay, well, how did I get to the point where I couldn't play well? Like, what was the problem, like, in all these situations? And... You know, I was really honest with myself. I was like, look, like mechanically, like maybe you may not be the best, but I think the biggest problem was like your decision making was just really, really poor. And I didn't really have a fix to get better at decision making because no one on our team was able to make better decision makers. Like there wasn't, that didn't exist at the time. Um, and then after CLG, I realized, like I had another introspective moment where I was like, do I really enjoy coaching? Like for me, it's like, okay, well, what were the top things that you've done in your life? You know, streaming, playing, and coaching. Is coaching, like, what you're passionate about? And I, I look at other coaches like Tony Gray, who's like, like, I really want to coach. Like, even there, there's no off time for coaches. Like, especially early league coaches, they don't have time to themselves. If you're not playing, like, it, it felt really bad for me because anytime I streamed when I was a coach for CLG, I felt like I should be using that time to prepare or help the team prepare. But, like, and so there's no, like, sports psychologists. There's no, like, managers. There's no assistant coaches. And so, like, I remember reading a lot about how, like, you know, Coach K, really famous basketball coach, uh, who's considered to be one of the best of all time, ha time has works with, like, two managers, three assistant coaches, like he's able to balance the workload and then he just has to decide, okay, like what does he say to his team in the locker room? Like what does he do in these situations? Like, uh, and he he paints the overall picture and then you know, he has people who help him fill it in. Whereas for you, like as a coach early, it was like, okay, you're also the manager, you're the babysitter, like you need to go eat, they need food, you, you have to go get them food as well. Like it was just like, it was like you, you covered so many roles that it was hard for you to be really, really effective at one. And in hindsight, I look back and I'm just like, I may not have been, like, I was really good at directing in terms of conversation flow. And I, I felt like I was a better positional coach than I was as a, an overall head coach. And because of that, I was like, I'm not really super passionate about coaching. I don't want to waste CLG's time because I got, I literally got the offer to be coach right there. It's not like they dropped me. They were just like, we want you to be coach next split. And I'm like, no. Because I'm like, I, I don't think I'm passionate about it. I don't want you guys to lose. And look, they did great. You know, they won the split. And I was super proud of them. But I, I and it, but I maybe I could, they could have done it if I was there as well. Certainly if I put my mind to it. But 
the way I think about things is if I'm not really passionate about it, I'm not really motivated to try my best. And, you know, I, I try my best to be a player, even if it wasn't efficient 14 hours a day, I feel like you can't really do much more than that. Um, and even like right now when I'm creating content, like I have a very set schedule and I'm really, I try to be on track of like everything and how to grow brands and stuff like that. Like I'm learning a lot very, very quickly and you know, it's fun, but I felt like coaching was something that was just like, I was thrown into and I didn't really consider the ramifications of doing it. And this sounds really, really bad to say, but I don't think I was as bad of a coach as people thought I was, but Honestly, results speak for themselves. So I, I just not, I'm not going to say anything. Like, I, I don't think I was as bad of a coach as people thought I was, but I don't think I was that good of a coach. So I think I was just like average or like maybe, you know, top five. And in a league where it's 10 people and people expect the CLGB coach to be like the best in, in, in their relative division. And I was definitely not up to that level. Well, I mean, self-awareness, I think, is is something that a lot of us struggle with. Um but you seem as though like, you know, you, you have an understanding of yourself, like, and that's a, that's a good thing. But speaking about, about self-awareness and stuff, I know this is something, and you, you said before, you don't actually remember it, but you and I talked about this, uh, at PAX East actually during season four, um, uh, we were sharing an Uber back over to the convention and we were talking about, I think this is actually when the first time when you, st when you were, when you stepped away from dig and we were talking about actually basically aging out of the LCS, aging out of professional gaming, right? And, like, I can speak from personal experience. Like, you know, when I was younger, I played Counter-Strike, uh, not professionally, but competitively, right? Um, and I noticed uh, just kind of from, like, anecdotal experience, like, when I hit 26 years old, I lost... I just lost, I fell off a plateau of, of, uh, Twitch skills. Like it was literally the difference between being able to, you know, 360 no scope, you know, deagle op, right. Cause I played sniper, uh, positional in Counter-Strike to like my mind seeing the action happening on the screen and my hand, like my, just like telling my hand, okay, do that thing that you know how to do, but it would not react in time. Right. And I was playing against against guys who they could they could the, the, it was literally like milliseconds faster, but they could still react quicker. Right. Do you think after season four, like, were you feeling that at all? Was that something for you? Uh, I think kind of, but I never really feel like age is the limiting factor for an LCS player. When you get older, it's not the eight. It's not. I, I feel like it's it's always how much time can you put into this thing to get good? You know, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. It's how much work do you want to put in to be the best at your position, the best at your role. I know people made fun of of uh, NA players who are like, look, I want to win Worlds. But when I saw stuff like that and they were like really clearly confident about it, I'm like, that's the guy I want to have on, on a team, but he's confident. I know that probably his work ethic is really good, mm -hmm. you know? And I felt like I was the type of guy who like put in a lot of effort for stuff. But then uh, when... I hit like a, a brick wall of not being able to know what I was supposed to do, you know, to get better. You know, I felt like I could always, I could always get better, like mechanically and in so-and-so senses. I didn't feel like my mechanics really fell off. I felt like other people got better. And because of that, like catching up on the mechanical level was going to be fine. In my personal opinion, I felt like if I had kept playing and not coached dig and COG mechanically, I'd be fine. Seriously. Uh, if you're playing scrims, like six hours a day and then you're playing solo queue afterwards, you're going to develop like decent mechanics. The problem is 
And the biggest problem was that I felt like the decision-making aspect was really hard to learn. And I need someone to help teach me that. And funny enough, when I went to CLG, they were the people who like Afro and Link taught me how to shot call. Because on Dig, I wasn't a, a shot caller at all. I think that was that really held me back at being able to understand how to play the game and learn how to play the game. And I think once I saw how Afro and Link shot called, I was able to understand exactly like the, the pieces I was missing. But I gave up a lot of like time to practice mechanics doing two different coaching roles. And so when I came back, I'm like, well, I finally have the knowledge, but I gave up time mechanically to gain the knowledge. Uh, and I made an attempt in the Challenger series and my AD carry got banned. And our entire strategy was literally based around, all right, we'll work with the bottom lane and then use mid lane rotations to end the game. And then I was just like, it was just like playing with a new player was so was such a huge struggle after spending a month or two just grinding it out like that that it was really unmotivating to try to go through the challenger scene because it felt like essentially the wild west it felt like what league was in season one and season two and the challenger scene is exactly like that people just break <laughs> people just break contracts all the time they're just like oh i don't think you added any value onto this player so we're not going to pay your buyout clause and then one player will leave for another organization that specifically happened two or three times that i know of and i'm just like that's terrible. Riot would never allow that. But in, in Challenger scene, people just look the other way. Uh, when when I was playing, I think now it's probably more structured because more structure, more more structure come on comes on every split. But I mean, before actually the Wild Wild West, it was terrible to play. People would show up late all the time, and it just people would cancel all the time as well. Do you think that the 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 knowing how to get better, the like be, better in depth understanding of strategy, uh, is going to be is going to carry somebody like to a longer professional career in LCS. Mm, I don't know about that. I actually think it's not that they'll carry someone. The length of the career changes, although it can because of how much the branding has improved. So you can make your own mm. kind of brand after the LCS. It's more like these kind of people who teach you how to do like before it's like, no one knew how to really shot call. Like, no one really knew how to do this. So you built stuff up, like, on the fly. Like, when I first coached Dig, I was like, okay, every minute, crumbs, you have to say, what is your next, what is our next objective? And someone has to respond. And now that's just, like, built in. Like, people are just, like, the supports of challenger teams just come up and they're just like, oh, Dragon's your next objective in one minute. We have to go down, make sure to push top lane, make it shove it, and come back down for it. It's like that specific line wouldn't have happened two or three years ago. But everyone's become better or understanding the game. Um, that it's not that the longevity improves, it's just that the overall player skill has improved. Do you remember what we did in IPL3 to win that would like caught everyone off, uh, off guard? We would use alt bottom lane so we could take Dragon. Like that was the depth of our strategy. Like I'm coming up for dragon. Oh ult god! Them. And then like locust would stone alt. They get low and we take dragon. Yeah. So my my IPL three experience was. <laughs> and we won. We beat yeah. TSM. Uh, we beat CLG. And we beat Epic Gamer. It was Crumbs was on. Gamer. So yeah. I remember IPL three specifically because I was like we had a sub because Void couldn't come. Yeah. And and at the time I was the one playing I think mid lane and then. You I played was like top lane Akali. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, so what, what do we do? Okay, we'll get this guy. 
uh, we've heard like we've seen him around like he's been some places yeah. and so he's like what can you play uh morgana mid i'm like let's just hope they don't ban it and so <laughs> i went top lane and i'm like and at the time Kali was really good and we thought it was really good for the tournament and people were like how many games have you played it for i'm like recently none but the tournament's in like six or seven days so <laughs> i could probably just play enough of her to be like decent on her nowadays that's like ridiculous that'll never happen but like we got a sub mid laner who like didn't get banned out just got to play as champ and i just like i remember like solo killed hotshot and galio and i was just like wow this champ is busted we had a system and that was enough yeah right? exactly like we had like some outline that was barely that was like completely transparent but at least the outline existed and other other teams were like holy shit this champion looks really good <laughs> and that was like the edge of their strategy like other or like the other edge is like this guy plays a really good champion should we consider banning it yeah. and it's like wow no that's like really in-depth stuff back then it's like well we can use bans to ban out good champions wow that's crazy but uh, <laughs> the game has evolved to a more a much better place it's a much ref yeah. more refined i mean you think talk about that and then you think about we have coaches and we have analysts and then the analysts mm -hmm. have analysts i mean it's yeah, and I think the refinement process and how legitimate it all has become, I think we will see much older pro players in five or ten years. Like, for, for a number of reasons. Like, you talk about you didn't really feel like you aged out, but just everyone else got better, mm -hmm. um, which I think is true for a lot of it. You look at a lot of the old-school pros, and they were the best because they were the first ones to figure it out, but then a bunch of people could mimic it, and so many more people became interested in doing it. Like, look at the number of people that want to be challenger players. Look at the number of people that want to be pro players, and they're all coming up in this. And then I feel like the big gate for, like, how you got good in the past was did you have the time to commit to this thing and also a couple of other factors like drive and just natural talent and things to, to reach that point. But then you hit the age of 22 and there's no career, so you have to work eight hours a day or you have to make sure you're getting really good grades in school or you have to, you know, actually live life, right? But if there's an infrastructure in place where you can actually live life because all those things are taken care of and you get to focus on League of Legends, I don't feel like you will run into the same time constraints when you're 25, when you're 26, when you're 28, when you're 30. And maybe the like 0.1 millisecond of difference in reaction time between an 18-year-old and a 30-year-old won't matter because that'll be 12 years of experience and they're still going to be able to devote the same amount of time during a day. Mm, I, I, for the most part, agree with you. I think that w we probably will see older pros, but they'll definitely still be uh on the cutting edge like or the exception sorry mm -hmm. the reasoning is is as you get older as a player you tend to develop really uh specific uh actions for how you're doing it. how you're how you how you think about the game how you think about specific things how you think about cs uh where you ward all those things are so ingrained into you you don't have someone constantly questioning yourself when you're younger you know you you're, you're a sponge you absorb a lot of stuff oh that didn't work that didn't work but when you grow older you're just like well, I've been doing this for so long. It's worked well for me, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's super optimal. So um, being able to self-evaluate yourself and put yourself in, in a way where you're looking at yourself from the outside perspective and be like, well, the way I did that was wrong. Like typically what happens is your foundation isn't as good and then you built yourself up on a really bad foundation. So having to re-break it and build yourself back up is a very, very difficult task. That's why I feel like like there's a lot of different ways you can go around it. Like a lot of it is just like, okay, coaches will tell you how to play or coaches will tell you what's what's bad, you know? And other ways I feel like uh, that other people have done it is uh, the 
the the Kohai method, which is you get essentially like a, a a younger player and you teach them, and you and you're you're essentially like like his teacher. So you and the the younger player, you, the younger player will ask, "Why do you do this kind of stuff?" And when you respond, I feel like the ability to teach what you know. Uh, is when you really, really understand what you know. So when you respond, some of the times the stuff you'll ask is like just stupid. They'll be like, okay, well, what do you think about this situation? I'm just like, no, this, is, it, this is this is stupid. Like you just you just last hit the minion. Like just don't go <laughs> don't go into the river at two minutes because you might get you might die. Um but other stuff he'll be like, so why do you warn that specific situation? And maybe you've warded there and that's just like a habit of where you consistently warn those two spots. He's like, why don't you warn this situation which covers like maybe a little bit more? And you think to yourself, you're just like, you're right. Like that's that's a great area to ward. Or like, what what about this? Like instead of like backing at this situation, you look to roam bot lane. And then you think to yourself, you know, that was a good time. Like I could have done that. But being able to be self-aware enough to be able to criticize yourself at that level when you think mm -hmm. outside of yourself is incredibly difficult to do. And so that's why like that's why I feel like coaches exist, because they're able to be the third party. But but right now the coaches aren't very talented. Right, right. They're just they just started growing up in esports, and you know the the coaches for like, for like uh, basketball and like and like all this kind of stuff, football. If you look at the salaries for the coaches or like what the schools do to accommodate a great coach, what are they gonna do? All right, we'll pay you two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or relocate your entire family to my college, and all of your your kids from like life or for life are just able to enter our college for free. You know, there's just so much. Uh, like that you're and to the point where you're able to learn about like sports science and even major in sports science because there's just such a history and such a like calling for it but in league everything is so grass like the the uh, coaching scene is grassroots and so you'll have people come out like sports psychologists come in but a lot of these players are like people who are ex-players or all that stuff and some of them are good some of them didn't work out like i didn't work out that well for clg but some of them like probably uh and to a lot of extent broken shard worked out decently well for a lot of the teams he was on and so i think that as the years go by and the more money that's in the scene, well, you'll be able to develop like these fully fleshed out management staffs that are able to critique individual players. You give them health plans, you know, all this stuff. And I think that stuff is really well, will like allow players to play at the peak of their level and stay there consistently. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that like players will be able to come in and knock them off. Cause I think especially in this, in this uh, game, it's really scary to have like younger talent come in. But I think that uh, if you're good, and if you if you're able to follow or able to to or I guess just smarter than the other people, you you'll be able to extend your career maybe by more than what I suspect. Very cool. All right, so we are we are getting towards the tail end uh, of uh, of the podcast, but I know that you actually you told me about something that that you've been working on, which I think relates actually a little bit to the conversation we were just having about like kind of having a support structure in place for. Uh, for players, and I, I would I would guess that it, it it affects more than just players. But you have a project that you've been working on. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, right now I'm a full time content creator slash streamer, and what that means is like I have to understand like a bunch of different mediums like YouTube, Twitch, uh, Twitter. What it means to really have influence on those markets, what kind of demographic you hit. Like it's been kind of I just kind of just like run into it and try to figure out stuff on my own. Like how what were you I what's your 
uh, best way to do YouTube and all that stuff. And one of the things I realized was that when I was a player, especially before, the organizations in this industry tend to be different than most other industries. Like in the movie industry and all the other industries, you'll have uh, not you'll never have the organization control like the sponsorships and the talent. Like they're essentially agents for the players as well as the actual people. And, when, and so, you, when you talk about the organizations, you're talking about the teams. Yes, exactly. So teams like COG, TSM, Cloud9, I'm not looking to like to trash talk them. I'm just saying that they, they tend to have their own, uh, like when they, when they look at players, they try to balance for the players and balance for their orgs. But a lot of times that's really counterintuitive because you can't really look out for individual players as much as you're going to want to look out for the organization as a whole. And I think that because of that, there really hasn't been a, a, a lot of times, especially in season two, season three, people were signing really, really bad contracts. Uh, uh, maybe not me specifically, but I knew a lot of people out there who were like literally signing like, all right, to play in the challenger scene, uh, well, we'll give you $500 a month and you're signed for two years. And it's like, well, if you want to buy them out, you owe the organization $50,000. And it's like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's not even a salary. That's a stipend. And so because of that, um, recently I, I decided to start a talent agency with some people that I've been working close with that have been doing this in a bunch of different other mediums like film um, and uh what you call it, film, video, videography, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it's called, actually, the funny thing is, is the name. When we decided, what should we call our thing, our, our organization, or what should we call our agency? We call it, we, our, our agency is called Union. And so <laughs> there is a, I remember that uh, there was a, Union is a really big buzzword in the scene because everyone's like, the players need unions to help them out. You know, they, 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 they don't go into bad contracts and all that stuff. And that's what I think that I want to try to do. I want to make it so that the players are the, the people that we care about the most and the talent that we sign on are the people that we care about the most. So it's union spelled like U, U-N-I-U-N. So it's okay. a little play on the words, but I, uh, it's something that we are working on and something that is going to be released, I think, this Monday, right after is it? It's either Valentine's or like right after Valentine's. So the, okay, Valentine's. So yeah, we this by the time this podcast releases, uh, you will have announced it already because mm -hmm. we release on Thursdays. Yeah. So. Sounds exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So, well, congratulations on that endeavor. It seems like uh, it's something you're very passionate about, especially given like the conversation we had and how, like. You you really you've been there like you've been there you've walked down that path and you've 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 got the kind of the the cuts and the scrapes to show from it right so. oh yeah I I've signed bad contracts in my life I've signed contracts where I haven't been paid and uh, I'm the living proof that I guess bad stuff could happen but you can still come out okay at the end absolutely absolutely Jet. Do you have anything anything else you'd like to add or, or, or oh, ask? It was a fun conversation. It was. It was a really fun conversation. I'd like to uh, thank Skara for being here. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule. No, it was my pleasure. Like awesome. I've always wanted to be on the audio podcast, and it's been really nice. Awesome. And, of course, thank you, Jeff, for, for joining me as a co-host for this Thanks episode. For Hopefully we'll have you back again soon uh, for some future plans. As esports. Esports. Esports, sports. <laughs> e -sports. Um, but I also want to remind everybody at home, thank you for listening. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for all of you fine listeners out there on SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes and whatever platform you choose to listen to the League Community Podcast on. If you are a new listener, please be sure to like, uh, to subscribe. If you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, give us a review. Rate us. Those things help us kind of float to the top in the whole video game section stuff of Rooney and whatever. And until next time, this is Andy Belfort. 
Gifford, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.